Hello and welcome to the latest episode of PSG Talking. I'm your host, Ed, and we are recording on Friday, September 2nd. So for all those in the U.S., happy Labor Day weekend. Hope you have plans to get out with friends and family, enjoy whatever it is that you enjoy, hopefully catch PSG's match on Saturday. Um, On today's show, we're going to be covering PSG's transfer window that is officially closed now, and we're going to spend a little bit of time previewing PSG's upcoming Champions League campaign, which kicks off next week, believe it or not. Here to help me do all that, we've got Mark Damon. Mark Damon, you can find him on Twitter, at MarkDamon9. Mark, how are you this Friday evening? Well, hello, everybody. I'm doing all right. It's 10 o'clock here on the East Coast, um, 10 o'clock in the evening. Uh, I have a good last week before, uh, for you know, work and stuff starts up next week in school and all that. So it's, you know, it's a busy time here, but we always make time for PSG here in this house. That's right. Always. And uh, lots to talk about. So let's just jump right into it. Um this transfer window business, a lot of signings, a lot of outgoing players. What part of PSG's business impressed you the most? Well, I sort of, in a big picture, I think there were three things that PSG were really trying to accomplish. The first being getting younger and getting more technical in the team in general, especially in the midfield. That was, I think, the the one of the top ones. I think that was probably number one. Number two was to get a lot of the dead weight out of the squad. The squad had become bloated and just too many people making too much money, contributing too little. So they were able to get away a lot of those sort of undesirable players that had been hanging on for a while and some for three, four years now. And the third thing they were trying to do, I think was to get one of their center backs of the future in Milan Skriniar. And obviously that did not happen. So to quote famous uh, recently deceased American rock singer meatloaf, don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. I'm glad you didn't sing it. We we don't have the funds to pay for those kind of royalties. No, I I, I was gonna. <laughs> the meatloaf estate would come after us. Whatever's left of the yes, whatever's left of meatloaf's estate, yes. Um, if if you don't know who meatloaf is, I'm sure most of you know. But if you don't look him up, great great American rock singer. But yeah, I mean that's really, I think that's how you really break it down in the larger summary of things. They did two of the three things they were trying to do, and they did two of them. Pre- they did one of them really well. They did one of them fairly well, and the other one they couldn't get done. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm impressed with number one. I'll just start with the arrivals. You look at all of the different clubs that players came from. I mean, Campos was he was in uh, Portugal, looking you know, Vitinha. Um, he, he brought in um, you know. 
some player Mukiele from the Bundesliga and Renato Sanchez from Lille, um, Carlos Soler from Spain. So this wasn't like Leonardo who just taps into his contacts at uh, in Serie A. He was all over the map in Europe, finding players that fit into this team. I also like that there's no superstars here. Hollywood FC is over. Um, we found players who are going to know their role. They're going to come in. They know the job that they're going to do. They know that they're not going to play. They're not going to be on the, the team list You know, every single game. They know that what role they need to play. Vitinha seems like he's going to be the real deal. Um, we've got some youngsters that were brought in that could maybe be part of the future. But I, I'm kind of leaning towards you. When you look at the amount of departures um, – Go, I mean, Colin Dagba went out, Javi Simmons went out, Di Maria on a free, Abdul Diallo on a loan, Idrissa Gay, um, we won't have that headache anymore, um, everything that comes with him, Tilo Kerr, Alfonso Areola, let's not forget about him. I think you know you have to call out Julian Draxler, finding someone to take him. So a, a lot of outgoing business. So Antero Henrique, he was mostly tasked with getting these players out. That is a hell of a lot of players to send out. Um, and I think it, it needed to be done, and it, it lightens the squad. Now we have players that are in the team that actually want to be here, that want to play, that know their role, and they're going to fight, and they're hungry, and they're going to push the starters. So all in all, for me, I want to get your grade. Yesterday we did a, a Twitter Spaces. I give it a 9 out of 10. And I think because PSG didn't get that center back screen yard, for me, that that's why it's a 9 out of 10. But what would you rate it? Yeah, I think... I think not getting that center back probably bumps it down to an eight out of ten, but I, I I'm probably in the high end, like eight point five, eight point six. So if you want to round it up to a nine, you can, and, and we'd, we'd be okay with that. But I, I I'll, I'll slightly, I'll I wouldn't say disagree, but I think with the with the what they did with their signings, I don't think it was so much about not signing star players. I think there was, I don't think that was a concerted effort to say we're not signing star players because if a star player came along that fit the profile of what I think they're trying to do, I think they would have jumped on it. They, I think they the could probably main, have Ronaldo, right? I mean, that's the one star that was really available. I'm, I'm more talking like, I'm more talking like a Kevin De Bruyne or somebody of a more technical quality. Cause I, I think the, what they really tried to do was make that midfield more technically solid and gifted. That was really the goal of what they were doing. They were trying to get Vitinha was the first piece of that because now, and you see it in these games where he's playing, he's just by far and away the most sort of technically gifted passer, you know, he sees the game, he, he moves without the ball well, he he breaks through the lines. The things he's doing is stuff that PSG haven't really been able to do. And you look at a midfielder like Marco Verratti, who's one of the best in the world, and you see now how good he really is because he doesn't have to do every single thing like he had to in the past, where he had to be both defensive and technical and attacking. Patini is sort of taking a bunch of that stuff off the plate for him. So now he can sort of focus on being even more solid defensively. And you see the way he's playing defensively. It's his best year so far. Like the first month he's been outstanding. And I think that was really the concerted uh, goal of this was to get guys like Fabian Ruiz, who's a good technical player. I think he's a 
more mobile version of Leandro Paredes who can get in the box, who can create some stuff, who's got a really good left foot and will be a you know solid midfield option for when Vitinha and Verratti aren't in. And then Carlos Soler, who's really more of a midfielder, but I think they're going to use him sort of as a backup you know, to Neymar or to Messi. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to start a lot in the midfield because I think their midfield's pretty crowded right now. And Renato Sanchez, who I think is a good player, he's more in the line of like a good squad player who can be used as a tactical sub. And I think you're seeing – you saw him when he started against Monaco. It didn't look particularly good. Yeah, he struggled. But I think he's better in this context as a tactical sub. I think as a guy who you can bring in in 60th, 70th minute, he's got good legs. He can he can play he can play a little defense, not great, but he can dribble the ball out. He's not going to – it's not a total collapse in quality to go to him. And, like – Getting guys like that is smart. Getting squad players who you can fit in and play in roles is a smart thing to do. Unlike a lot of what they did in the past, which was get guys who were maybe too, maybe not good enough to be starters on a team like PSG, but also not humble and sort of mentally driven enough to be role backup players. So they sort of just got, I mean, you could call it Julian Draxler syndrome, which is kind of where it was, right? Like, Julian Draxler is a player who's not good enough to start at PSG, but he's also not a role player that you can kind of give 20 minutes to and he gives you something. So you end up not really being able to use that guy like that. You know, I think Paredes sort of fit into that category too, where it's like not quite good enough to be a starter on this level, but he also isn't a guy who's going to come in for 15 minutes and be like, you know he's not gonna he's not gonna be effective that way. He's got to play full games. So getting guys like Sanchez who don't have to play full games, getting you know a guy like having a guy like Danilo, who you can play in center at center back, which he's gonna have to play a lot of center back, center back and midfield. I think that's really that's really getting that midfield to be more technical and trimming the squad. It. it it really was a strong effort, especially in the first year of a new regime. It gives them a lot of flexibility too in, in midfield. If they want to do three defenders, you know, you could do, you know, Bettinia and Varadi in midfield, or if you need to do a, a traditional four three three, it gives them some flexibility there. One midfielder who is not there, uh, youngster Edward Michou, a lot of people very high on him. He goes on loan to Sunderland, and um, it was an interesting move, just real quick, because he, he's not one of the, the star players, but he's definitely one of the better, younger players in the team, and he goes to Sunderland in the championship in England, and, and you're talking, you know, North England, right? Uh, championship is very physical. It's going to be cold and nasty. He's he's not the biggest, burliest guy that you've ever seen. He sort of looks like, you know, an extra for, like, a, a Backstreet Boys yeah, movie. Looks like a Looks like a newsy. Yeah, so I'm that one is going to be interesting. I think that loan is either going to make him or break him. I mean, do you have a, a quick thought on how you think that's going to work out? Well, it's a tough. I mean, specifically him, it's a tough league to play in. 
Like, I think he's going to bring a, a technical quality to that team that they probably haven't had in like 20 years. Yeah. Knowing how Sunderland has been over the last couple of years. But like, I think just tailing that into the general of what, you know, the, the, the sales, I think, I think his release, I think his sale clause is like 4 million. So if Sunderland somehow make the, the Premier League, Mishu's going to stay there. Just, you know, so it's not like I think Mishu's coming back in this right. situation. Because Sunderland's going to be able to pay that that fee. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to pay it. Then you're just sort of looking at guys like, you know, what a lot of, they, they sold a lot of guys. Let's and, and loan a lot of young players and a lot of those those sort of deadweight veteran kind of guys. And Bimbe is one. He went on loan to Frankfurt. Um, yeah. Kurzawa went on loan to Fulham. I, I mentioned Dagba. He went to Strasbourg on loan. Wijnaldum's on loan. Kenny Nagara, he went to Lorient B. Uh, just kind of looking through the list here. Who else went out on loan? Um, Ander Herrera. So a lot of a lot of loan deals where P. It's because they're overpaid, and so you have to loan them. No one's gonna you know pick up that full wage bill, and yeah. so that's the way. It and is. Most of the contracts are not much further past twenty twenty four. So. Even if you can't sort of hold, if, even if these teams don't call their loan options, you're still only about a year away from getting most of those off the books. Kurzawa is a 24. Um, Wynaldum's a 24. Um, Draxler's a 24. So you can, you only have a year after this to, to hold them on. So you don't, it's not like you're stuck on really bad deals to 25 or 26 where you really have to like, find someone to take them off your hands. But this was not easy to do because the previous regime didn't seem to have an interest in thinning out the squad. That, that was going to be my question. Let me just tee you up here. So what does it say about Leonardo that he wasn't able to get all of these type of loan deals done? You couldn't get Draxler and Kurzawa out of the club, but then here come Campos and Henrique. Their first window, boom, they're out of the club. I mean, talk about that. You were kind of going that way, but I just wanted to tee you up there. You have to, I think, understand that Leonardo had a very different vision for what he wanted to do at PSG. And I think he was more interested in keeping the bulk of that group. And he, I think, saw those guys as veterans who you could plug in if something were to happen with your top guys. So I think his theory of the, of the deal was that you didn't want to get left thin at position. So let's have these guys. It's better to just have them in case than sell them away. And now you're caught thin. And that's going to be the issue with this squad going forward. You are in a situation where, you could be kind of thin in certain positions on the field. And I think for the first sort of four months, three months, next three months, you can get away with it, but it's going to put pressure in January to make signings. And I think this January is going to be the weirdest window of this kind because it's going to be immediately after a World Cup in the middle of a club season. So 
there are going to be teams who pay a premium for guys who show up and play well in the World Cup, knowing that that could be the guy that tips the scales of a Champions League. You keep him and he's hot, you know, let him stay hot and carry that momentum through from the World Cup to the cup to the club season. That is going to make it interesting for PSG to try to sign. A, they're going to need to sign a center back, whether it be a backup or anything, because you're not going to be able to, I think, sustain rotating Danilo and Mukieli and uh, Bichabu as a back three with those other guys. It, you're you're kind of thin. You're actually very thin. And midfield, you're fine. Attack-wise, unless one of those guys gets hurt, they're not coming off. They're really not. And, I, and we didn't talk about uh, Ekatike, who's another signing uh, from Rhymes, who they got pretty early in the window. Yeah, Newcastle were after him. Very highly highly coveted youngster. And he hasn't, played, he hasn't played much yet. I think he's going to play a lot in the Cup. I think he's going to play in blowout kind of games in the league. You saw he played, I think, about 20 minutes last game. He showed some good, solid things in that game, actually. he, I think he's a little more of a nine than what they have, and they're, they're not going to play – they're not going to bring Mauro Cardi back into the squad. I doubt it. He may still be on the on the move. I think the Turkish window is yet to close, if I'm not mistaken. September, September 8th. Yeah, so he yeah. has some time to move the Galatasaray. So I don't see them bringing him back with all the sort of baggage that he has with the previous regime and the wife and all that. Well, what so, do you um, our friend uh, London Parisianer had said, you know, Mukiele can can come in and play center back at times. Danilo can fall back and play center back. So in a yeah. pinch, they have some players. But you're right. They are thin. They are thin. And again, you can get away with it in the first three months of the year in the sense that you can – Put Mukieli back there. You can put Danilo back there. But you start to get really thin because now you only have Hakimi and Mukieli as your right backs. So now if you play Mukieli at center back and he gets hurt, now you only have one right back. And that's not yeah. ideal. Yeah. So you really have to be careful with that. And I think they're really going to have to try and find a center back in January just to get, just to take minutes. And the idea with Skriniar was pretty obvious that they wanted a guy who could, you know, come in and I think replace Ramos by the end of this year and sort of be one of those three center backs, maybe even Kimpembe moving out at some point. That's a, it was a possibility at the beginning of the window. That obviously didn't happen, and I think it wasn't wise to sort of put all of your money into that basket. I think they assumed that they could sort of bully uh, Inter into selling him, knowing that he only has a year left. But I think Inter, Inter, it's not like Inter's in the Europa League or anything. Inter's yeah. gonna Inter's playing for the Serie A title and it, in the Champions League, so. Add on to that, PSG just bought in the last window Ashraf Hakimi off of them, who is another one of their better players that they, they were able to get. So I think this is probably always an uphill battle to sign Skriniar, and I think they overestimated right. how willing Inter would be in the end to sell him. 
you know, at the end, they weren't willing to sell them at all. So, and, and now going into that, there there's the news that came out today where PSG were among eight clubs fined by UEFA. Um, as I scroll down here, it says that um, PSG is part of eight clubs that did not comply with the break-even provision, and so they were. Um, PSG faced the most significant fine of 65 million with 10 million euro will need to be paid immediately. The rest will be spread over the next three years. So I think with ScreenYard, maybe Inter were willing to sell, but for a very high price, PSG may have seen these sanctions coming down. Who knows what else is coming with financial fair play. Maybe they had a price and they couldn't go over it and it just wasn't enough for ScreenYard. So that's just something that may have played into the decision as well. It's possible. I don't think that that fine is much of anything, to be honest, because they've sort of put financial fair play into it. You know, it's it's a different thing than it was. I think the punishments at the beginning were far too harsh. And I think this is sort of along the lines of the kind of punishment you want to give for something like this. And the deferred, it's basically like a, when a guy gets suspend you know gets red card suspension and it's like he gets the he gets three games but two of them are like deferred you know it's like probation right yeah so i mean like if psg are able to balance the books a little better i'm sure they won't have to pay much of that 55 on the back end just get another qatar sponsorship that'll pay for it it'll be fine everything I, will be fine yeah but again it's not like uefa is going to show their work on any of this so it's you know it's not I, like they're just as it, corrupt well, it's all corrupt, but I, I just there's not there's not like a there's not like a, a, a form that they're going to release to the public that says this is what the books look like and this is where they're behind and this is where they're ahead. I, I wouldn't be worried about I put it this way. I wouldn't be worried about the financial outlook of the club at the moment. I don't think they're in any sort of financial yeah. trouble. So. I don't look at that as too much of an issue. That, that's, that's all. It was probably just Inter didn't want to get rid of him. So um, fair enough. Um, one player that PSG clearly didn't want to get rid of was Keeler Navas. And I want to ask him or ask you about him because there surely was a market for a player of his quality. And he needs to play with Costa Rica being in the World Cup. So do you think the fact that he stayed, does that tell you that Gaultier, maybe, even though he said Don Ruman is his number one, that maybe he's not 100% sold on the young Italian goalkeeper. What do you make of that situation? So, it was made clear at the beginning of the season that Donnarumma was going to be the starter. I think it was made clear at the beginning of August. It was made clear during the Trophy de Champion time, right? Like, it's not, it, this wasn't really a competition. It was, Donnarumma is going to be the number one. And Navas knew that. And I think the idea was for him to move. I think the, the story was that he would go to Napoli. And Napoli, yeah. Deal. I think the problem with that was probably that the salary Navas is being paid is too high for napoli to take on its own so napoli is not going to pay whatever Navas's salary is in full to you know have him be their goalkeeper 
so the other idea would be, okay, then Navas would be terminated out of his contract from PSG to go to Napoli on a free. Problem with that, though, is PSG don't want to pay the severance fee for his contract, which is go, which goes for another two years. So they'd have to pay a significant portion of his salary over the next two years in full. So I don't know if you can pull up what Navas' salary is. I'm assuming it's somewhere between four and six million a year. So if it's around that mark, they're going to have to pay like 10 million euros to let him out of his deal, which it's wasn't going to happen. 600,000 euros per month. So do the math on that. All right. So that's per well, year. 600,000 times 12. Yeah. So what is that? 7.2 million? Yeah. So around, yeah, about, give or take. How about they're that fast math? Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> But they're not they're not gonna pay that. Yeah. They're not gonna pay the severus fee. If they send him out on loan, then they're gonna probably have to take on his salary anyway. So at that point, your calculus is if we're gonna have to pay him anyway, why don't we just keep him and see what happens? If we're gonna pay him anyway, then that's and I think it'll be easier to loan him out next year or sell him next year with a year left. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be gone. I think he'll definitely be gone at the end of 2023 because they're just they won't have to. That salary won't be as big of a of an issue at that point. But yeah, like how it affects the team, I think what it does is it. I, I think Galtier just has to be really strong about this and go. Donor almost the one, and he's the one. And Navas will play the cup games. And Navas will get a game every two months or so in the rotation because there'll be games, there'll be times where Donnarumma needs a break, and Navas will step in and play those games. And it's just as long as someone in that mm-hmm. front off that someone in that structure has a consistent message about the thing, you can live with it because Navas isn't going to bash the club in public. He's not going to. He's not going to do that kind of thing. Is there anything so, Donnarumma can do to lose his job? Well, we've seen him make some mistakes. I mean, I, I love Donnarumma, uh, but if I'm being honest, he's made some silly mistakes. He's, you know, a lot of people point well, to no, him I, as the I, reason why I, they got knocked out of the Champions League. But yeah, I, is there anything? No, I'm not going to say he's making mistakes. I'm going to say he has an actual flaw in the way he plays, in that he has a very poor first touch on the ball at his feet. So you notice that one, the one he gave up against Real Madrid and the one there was one in the last game I think where it was just kind of iffy. He's not great when the ball's coming back to him. Like when the ball's coming to like when you're I'm getting really basic football soccer right here, but it's yeah, like yeah. when you kick a ball to somebody and they put their foot out to stop it and they can deaden the ball, which is what most good soccer players can do right it doesn't just bounce off their foot and go three feet in the other direction like, right? like when i play football it just pings off me like i'm made out of like metal yeah you the, the ball you can deaden the ball and then settle it in in one touch it the other way with donnarumma it seems what happens is he's his feet are more cinder blockish <laughs> than other guys so when it hits off his foot it rolls like three four feet away from him 
And when you have someone like a Kareem Benzema or a, a good forward that can close the space, it becomes harder for Donnarumma to get there, and it actually gets dicey. I wonder if it's, he probably has the biggest feet, I would imagine, in the team. I mean, he's six foot five. I mean, he's, he has to have enormous feet. If, if anyone listening knows what shoe size uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma wears, let us know. But I, does that have anything to do with it? Just having large feet, having and that leads to a poor first touch. It, it might. I also think in Italy, it's not. I it's not the style in Italy to have goalies who can sort of play with the ball at their feet. Um, Buffon couldn't play with the ball at his feet really either. It wasn't what they did. It's not how they're taught. The Italian game is not about playing out of the back with your with your with your goalkeeper. It's not what not what they're built to do. So essentially Donnarumma is going to have to learn how to do this or it's going to be very difficult for him. I mean he's got Messi, who else has a better first touch than him? Well, because let's be let's be honest, I didn't think we were going to spend this much time on the goalkeeper and I'm not an expert <laughs> in the imagination, but let's be honest here. Um when you're playing at a club like PSG, as the goalkeeper, more times than not, you're not going to be making 10, 15 saves a game. It's just not going to happen. So the majority of what you're doing is cycling the ball and trying to you know, start the, start the play out of the back. That's like a majority of his job. And at a top club, that really is what the goalie does. The goalie isn't the, the goalie's not there to make 10, 15 saves. The goalie's there for the three to four times a match where you need him to make a play. And then he's part of the 11 on the field that move the ball. So for Donnarumma, he just has to get better at it. It's that simple. Like you have to get better at ball distribution. And he's still young. He still has time to do it. He's going to get plenty of opportunities because PSG are not going to change that style for him. And it's not, you know, it's like when in, in, when I watch the, the, like the high school games where the goalie really can't kick it that far. So they like get a, like an infield, like a defender to come in and kick the ball for them. Right. That doesn't happen at, you know, that doesn't happen in high level football. You're the goalie. The goalie has to be able to play the ball. Simple as. And I think for Donnarumma to lose this job, he's going to have to really have a tailspin, which with how PSG play and the fact that PSG are not giving up five goals a game, I don't see that happening. Yeah, and I think in the Champions League especially, I think there's opportunities where if he's able to get his hands on the ball and catch the opposing team maybe sleeping a little bit or maybe they got too forward too much, he could – just shoot the a pass right over top to a sprinting Mbappe um, or Hakimi. I just think there's opportunities for him to collect some assist if he's smart and moves quickly and can play the ball correctly. So a lot of opportunity there. But let's get off goalkeepers, Mark. Um, I want to change gears a little bit. We talked about some of the players who were going out, uh, Di Maria and Paredes. They go to Juventus and uh, Draxler goes to Benfica. And wouldn't you know, PSG yeah. draw Juventus and Benfica in the uh, group stage of the Champions League, along with uh, Maccabi Haifa, 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 
There we go. Israeli team. Israeli team. Um, congrats to them making the, the Champions League. It, it'll be over quickly, I'm sure. Uh, but um, what do you make, just your initial reaction when you saw that group uh, that PSG were drawn into? I've always been – I've always wanted to play Juventus in one of these things because it's – A, it's a, it's a big kind of battle of two giants that really hasn't happened a lot. Hasn't really happened in 25 years, actually, but hasn't happened since PSG have been the PSG we know they are now. So, you know, PSG have played Chelsea and United and Man City and Real Madrid and Barcelona. They haven't really played like a top Italian team. And I think just from a novelty standpoint, I think it's an interesting game to uh, – it's an interesting battle to, to, to see. Like it's just – it's a new it's a, it's a new matchup. And you look at the, the roster, and, I, and I, I have my sort of preconceived notions about Juventus. We, we talked about the two PSG players that just went there, and then, of course, they have Adrian Rabiot. Um, we, we had a guy on who came and said he's a Di Maria fan and he's been watching a lot of Juventus this season. And he said their attack, um, I forget the player that he mentioned, but they, they have guys that will really use their physicality against our center backs. We love Marquinhos, but he's not the, the thickest defender. And so physicality could be a point where maybe Juventus has the advantage over a, a PSG. Well, I'm looking at it. They're definitely not going to have a speed advantage, and they're definitely not going to have a skill advantage. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because you have you have. It's going to be all about set pieces for them. And if it, they can. it's a much older team. They are an old team. You're talking about Desiglio, but you know Bonucci's still there. Alex, remember Alexandro? Yeah. Those years, yeah. Alex Alexandro. Um, Pogba's out. Um. You still have like Juan Cuadrado, who's, who's seems like he's been playing for twenty years. Pogba's out, but he still can do the witchcraft on Mbappe. That I mean, we're not going to get into that. It was a crazy story. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of craziness in that. But um, I'm just looking at this roster, and it's like no one in this roster, like, and now of course this will come back to bite me. But like, Kiesa's out. Di Maria is going to play probably. You have, you know, Moise Keane, and he was a good little player, but he's not a star. Milik, from who played at a Marseille, I think most recently, uh, probably their best attacker would be Vlavic, I think, or Vlahovic. Yeah. yeah, he would be the, the top, yeah, striker for them, the one to be think- most concerned about. I, I just – and we've said this before, and I know I've said it before, and then somebody – you know, I'll say, oh, how are they going to ever stop Mbappe and Neymar and Messi? And then somehow they figure out a way to do it. This time I actually mean it. Like, I don't see how they – I think PSG are going to have a majority of the ball. I think they're going to have like something around 65 to 75% possession. And it's going to be up to PSG to break that down. I think Juventus are going to play fairly defensively with uh, their, the manager they have, whose name escapes me at the moment because it's late. My brain's not working. Uh, Allegri, Allegri, Allegri. Yes, yeah, Allegri. So I could see PSG losing one nothing if things go wrong, but I could also see PSG blowing them out. And 
yeah, Benfica's a nice roster, but it's not a top-level European mm-hmm. roster. If Draxler scores against us, it will be so sad. But, I mean, Weston McKinney, he's on Juventus, American, you know, getting ready for the World Cup. He's a player, you know, he's got some pace to him. You might worry about a little bit. Uh, but overall, I think you're right. This is a, a kind of a, a, a bulky, slowish, older team. Um, doesn't really scare you too much. I think Allegri probably scares me the most. I think he's, you know, definitely has the advantage when it comes to experience in the Champions League over Gaultier. So this will be the first big test for PSG. Uh, they will host Juventus. What is that next Tuesday, I believe? Yeah, Tuesday, September 6th at the park. Uh, Juventus comes to town. I wonder if PSG will do anything for Di Maria. I doubt it, but um, he did, did a nice they, sending off for him. They did something for him before he left. Yeah, like, so I, I, don't, I don't think they'll do anything. Rabio comes back, and, and I anticipate he will probably start. He will probably be booed mercifully at the park. But not mercifully. Definitely not mercifully. Uh, yeah. Merciless. Whatever, whatever the opposite of that word is, that is what will happen. The Ultras will certainly be in full voice when and his name is announced. So it'll be entertaining. I think you're right. We've seen, you know, Bayern Munich is another team we played against. Juventus is one we haven't really seen too much. So it, at least it's something different. Uh, Benfica, yeah, Draxler. I mean, again, if he scores against us, I'll just sit and laugh and, and cry at the same time. But that's a team PSG should do well against. But against somebody different, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, the the Israeli team, you know, will go in. Maybe that's a game novice that some of the other yeah, players can feature. I don't see I don't see Benfica as being like RB Leipzig the last few years, where it was right. at least like a tactical challenge to play them. I think like they'll they'll be. Oh, they'll be good. They'll be like a. They'll be like a solid league gun team. Like they'll they'll play like you know, like you know they could they could probably reach a level of like Monaco reaches. But they, I, they somehow I always seem to make it to the the round of sixteen. I want to get your thought on this though. How important is it to finish first? Because you look at some of the other groups, and there's some clear cut favorites. So Man City's probably going to top their group. Real Madrid's probably going to top theirs. Chelsea's going to top their group. I would assume. Um, so I wouldn't that. you wouldn't you wouldn't I mean they've got Salzburg and Dynamo Zagreb. Hold on, is that really that that's really the two teams in there? There has to be a better team in there than that. No. Don't they play like AC Milan? Uh yeah, oh yeah, AC Milan is in there. Yeah, okay. So maybe AC Milan would finish. First. Milan winning that group. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But overall, you really do want to finish first because you got Bayern and Barcelona and Inter in Group C. That that's probably a group of death. That that might be an opportunity where you'd have to play one of those second place teams. That that could be difficult. But I really think this year is not a whole lot of like really tough groups. So I think finishing first and getting maybe one of those second tier teams um, is is important. And PSG should finish first in this group. They have to be favored. Take care of business. Get a draw on the road at Juventus. Uh, take care of business against the other two. And and PSG should be just fine. Uh, I'm going. going to I'm going up. to. I'm going to re up what I say every year. And you've heard the spiel, but for those who may have not heard the spiel, I'll. 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 I'll let I'll let me get it. you. Let me get you I'll, full I'll, screen. There you go. I get my. I, I get my own screen for this. All right. I'll do this. Okay. So, the Champions League group stage is intentionally designed for the top teams to make it, because that's just how it is. It's the rule of ten. So. 10 points guarantees you passage into the second round, into the knockout round. 
I, I, I can never remember a time, I don't think it's ever happened, where a team with 10 points or more is is third place or fourth. It just doesn't it, – mathematically, it's impossible. So what does that really mean when I say 10 points is the key? So that means you got to be 500. You basically have to win three of the six games and then get a draw in one of the other three. So – Two wins against Maccabi Haifa, that's six already. If they somehow drop points to Maccabi Haifa, they got bigger problems than than that, you know. So you're automatically at six. So that means you then have to win one of the next four and hold on. <coughs> one of the next four and draw the other one. So it's really easy to qualify. The question is, PSG really should get 15 to 16 points out of this. Like, they should win this group. It really shouldn't be a challenge to do so. Mm-hmm. Because Juventus is, we talked about the, the players they have. It is not a classic, great Juventus team. They have not won the league in two years, which is a long stretch for a top-level team. They're currently in fifth place in Syria, so they're not setting the world on fire this season. No, they're they're a team that is on the down slope right now. They don't have a lot of young players coming in. It's a they really should probably try to rebuild there. So you know, bringing in Angel Di Maria and bringing in Leandro Paredes, while we're appreciative that those two PSG players have found homes, were probably not the best decisions in the world. And I think they're still hurting from buying Ronaldo and then a pandemic happening immediately after that so that they couldn't capitalize on actually having him. That probably hurts. Yeah, not great. So this with the way PSG are playing, they really should take care of this business. I almost wonder and, if PSG should lose to Maccabi Haifa because if you remember last season, Real Madrid lost to, what was that, Sheriff, that team called Sheriff, and then they went on to win the whole thing. So maybe that's what we need to do. Drop one to them and then just win the whole thing. Look, I know we're, I know PSG fans don't want to hear this as a PSG show, but we're not Real Madrid. We can't do that. <laughs> we can't just turn it they're on. Lost, and... I'm sorry. If, they, they lo- if, if we lost to Maccabi Haifa, they, they probably would <laughs> call for the coach to be fired at that point yeah we, we don't have the reps in our back pocket like real madrid we don't have our or own you, yeah, or the newspapers KR. and media and, and all that so yeah different different level that real madrid are playing on um so yeah maybe we we shouldn't drop any points but yeah I, we should you know, knock on wood comfortably finish first and then we'll see how the rest of the groups uh, shake out but group c is certainly a doozy uh there mark anything else on the champions league that you have for us, anything else before it gets going on uh, Tuesday or anything else uh, on the game Saturday? PSG go to Nantes. That should be a good game. Hopefully keep banging in goals. They should get a better performance out of Nantes than they did in in July. But, um, again, they got to just keep chopping wood. You know, easy. Like that game against um, Toulouse on the road. That was a perfect sort of – Chop wood league on match where you just have to, you just have to kind of find a way to win it. Like it's not you're not gonna be, score seven eight against a team like Toulouse. I don't think you're gonna score seven eight against a team like not with Kombari there. Just just 
you know, do this, you know, be patient. Don't make too many early mistakes. Don't fall behind. Like the ability to manage league on games is sort of underrated because, uh, and I'll say this is a broader point. League Gun is a much tougher league than people give it credit for. It is much harder to be dominant and look good in a league like League Gun right now because it's not like the Premier League where the Premier all the Premier League games are fairly open. It's just the way they play. But you know, even if you're Bournemouth, if you're Man City, if you're Southampton, you're playing fairly open football for the most part. I mean, that weirdo Holland's got, what, six goals in two games? Yeah, it's not – again, he's going to dominate that league because there's just not a lot of physicality. There's, they, they talk about this nonsense, which it's a myth, which is the physicality of the Premier League. It's a myth. It's physical in the sense that there's a lot of running. There's a lot of back-and-forth action. There's a lot of running around. But there's not a lot of – tough tackles there's not a lot of you know shoulder checks there's not a lot of any of that so and there's also not a lot of big physical center central defenders either so you go into league gun and you watch that game that they played against to lose it's like PSG have all the skill they have all the talent they have all the ability but they're struggling to sort of get balls through against these, you know, really well-trained, really committed back lines that know how to play team defense, that aren't sort of running around, you know, the old non-PC, well, I won't even say the old non-PC way to say it, but the chickens with their heads cut off, <laughs> which is the PC way to say it. Yeah. Um, it's it's well coordinated, good defenses with officials that allow them to get away with more physical play than in other leagues. The Monaco game, Camara. I mean, he's more physical than any player in the Premier League. I mean, he was elbowing and and the two footed tackling and everything. I mean, every time he touched a player, or got near them, they the PSG player was on the ground writhing in pain, um, and the referee just let him get away with it. That was Benoit Bastian, who's the worst league official I've ever seen. He's yeah. people talked about Turpan being bad. Turpan is Turpan is a god of an official compared to freaking Bastian because Bastian gives, gives Neymar a yellow card in the first ten minutes for a light shove, and then Monaco doesn't get a card until about sixty minutes into the game. It's a, it's embarrassing. It was, it, was some, it was something. It was. I'm not going to get on that because it's no. not the time. It's it's that was bad, and that's what PSG have to deal with week in and week out, day in and day out. It's a grind. That's why you look at the Neymar numbers. Neymar scored like 109 goals for this team. Neymar's numbers are incredible for a guy who's played half the games. He's got seven goals in the league on this season. Uh, that is he, think about it, it. I think it's like he's over. He's he has been hurt almost as much as he's been healthy. And he is now PSG's fourth leading scorer. It's unbelievable. It's insane. Like, people forget how good Neymar has been. I think we'll end on this. Neymar is having a resurgence of a season. Like, he every, he set a record this on, on Sunday. 
He scored and assisted in 16 straight games for club and country. That's more than Messi. That's more than Ronaldo. 16. Here's a guy who's went to PSG trying to be his own guy, trying to create his own legacy, and has had has been has been and I'll curse here has been shit on. He has been emasculated. He's been bullied. He's been harassed, not only by the other team, but by the media, by the officials. And I'm not trying to, you know, make this all poor Neymar, you know, what a horrible life he's lived. He's made millions upon millions of dollars. He's brought some of that on his own, you know. A little bit. He's not innocent. himself. But the way he's been treated, honestly, whether he brings it on himself or not, has been just incredibly unfair. Mm -hmm. And for him to now be in this moment and be the best player, he's the best player in the world right now. I don't care how many tap-ins Halan gets in in the Premier League where he can score from three feet out and everyone celebrates like he they, just did. They something. are just drooling over him. I, I, it's it's sickening. I can't even. I have to hide, well, mute his name on Twitter. It's too much. But it's like what I'm saying is what Neymar is doing in the degree of difficulty right now, and the fact that he the fact again if he keeps this up and he stays healthy, this is Ballon d'Or stuff. And I don't think they'd ever give it to him because I don't. I think they would intentionally give it to someone else over him. But this is Ballon d'Or stuff. He, he's got to win the World Cup and then I guess at least get to the finals of the Champions League. And, and that point they can't. You know, I don't know how they're doing the the Ballon d'Or is weird this year because he, well, him and Messi weren't even in the top thirty or whatever. But I, I think that was like to June or something. I don't know how they measure that. But if he's doing what he's doing and he wins a World Cup with Brazil, how do you deny him? How do you deny him at that yeah, point? I agree. He get, finally gets his flowers after all these years of being the third best, the second best, the fourth best, whatever, the, the best, or whatever you want to call him. Here he is dominating right now. He is the best player in the world right now. Bar none, period, end of story. He's winning PSG games. He's been scoring. He's been assisting. And he's playing, you know, if we're, we're ranking him right now, it's probably Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe from what yeah. we've seen so far this year. And I don't think anyone expected that. I mean, they were trying to, you know, the media was trying to get PSG to, to, to sign him away somewhere. Like he was, yeah. you know, like he was, like he was done. Like he the, apparently Chelsea, he was going to Chelsea, which yeah. never was going to happen. Oh, yeah. He would never. I don't think he'd ever play in the Premier League. I don't think they would ever let him play in the Premier. I think that would yeah. be that that wouldn't work um, for a lot of reasons. But yeah, just uh, all I'm asking is just stay healthy. Just stay healthy. You know, they. I would sit him tomorrow. I know he's been great, but just give him a day off. Don't let not you know hit at his legs and. Give him a day. Let him relax. Bring him in on the Champions League days. Start being a little more economical with him. Keep him healthy. Keep keep him in rhythm. Don't play him three times in seven in seven days. And I think that's reasonable. You can get this. This guy is playing right now. It's such a level. You just got to keep him. Keep him healthy. 
Keep them healthy, Gaultier. Keep them healthy. It should be pretty straightforward. We'll see uh, tomorrow when the lineups come out if he's in there, um, and then that'll tell us a lot of what's going to happen on Tuesday. Just real quick, you mentioned the Premier League. Uh, Miguel Delaney uh, tweeted this out. He said, Premier League's current net spend this window is almost $1.3 billion. The next biggest net spend, it was La Liga on $55 million. Big gap there. A lot of people were saying, you know, oh, the Super League, it's already here. Um, so you talk about the Premier League not being very physical, uh, but they certainly have a lot of money to spend. And so people always talk about PSG and all the transfers they're bringing in and the money they're spending. Well, you, you look at the Premier League, you know, teams like Wolves are spending big on midfielders and, and such. So I wanted to give that stat a shout. And then lastly, a uh, good friend of the pod, Mike McNally, uh, sent me a message. I don't know if you've heard about this, uh, but he said B in USA was dropped um, by Cox. Uh, yeah. Cox Cable dropped BN in the U.S. last night, apparently, or two nights ago, I guess it was. Um, and then he said that BN USA dropped the, the Coupe de France games this year. Did you hear anything about that? No, I did not. I got to do a little research if anyone knows more about this, but this is what Mike has said. So um, I don't think he has any reason to, to lie or make things up. So uh, well, I'm going to look into that because that would be crazy. And with a team like PSG with the stars that they have... Like, let's just be honest. People are going to see Mbappe at the World Cup and see Messi, and they're going to want to watch them on their club team, and they're not going to be able to find them because they're on B and, and no one gets that station, uh, that network here in the U.S. Well, it's kind of a problem. You know, it is. Um, I I think would the cup matches get moved to like another network? Because CB, remember, CBS Sports had the Trophy des Champions. No, it didn't. PSG, they had PSG's preseason games. CBS Sports did in the United States. We we're somehow on CBS Sports for some reason. So I would think someone would pick that up. You know, it's yeah. not, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be expensive and you could put it on a streaming network. And I, I just think BN, I, I know we didn't plan on going down this detail. No, that's fine. Go. BN Sports is, it's done. It's just, it's done. It's, it's over. It's, you know, it's, it's washed. It's done. It's over. Like it's a dead network. That's still somehow like on a ventilator. It is. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's on a ventilator. It's, it's, it's not breathing on its own. It's in a coma. It's not dead, but it's almost dead. And I think, Sooner everyone in the states realizes this, I think the sooner everyone over in Qatar realizes that this is sunk cost, you can get it off that network, and then someone with a legitimate platform with legitimate streaming capabilities can pick it up and actually have you know, it might not be on over the air television. Mm-hmm. Because La Liga is no longer on over-the-air television, no. really. Bundesliga is not on over-the-air television. But it doesn't matter in the United States. Soc- soccer fans in the United States are – I think we've settled into this place where I think soccer is about as big as it's going to get in this country unless the United States somehow wins the World Cup in the next 10 years. <laughs> but it's it really isn't going to get much bigger than it is. Yeah. I think the people that want to see it know how to see it and know how to watch it. And 
it, it really is up to Liga, and if they want to have any presence in North America, to get on a CBS. I think CBS Sports probably makes the most sense, to be honest, because ESPN's pretty covered. CBS Sports would make a lot of sense to put them with the to have Syria and Liga and there the Bundesliga and uh, the the uh, La Liga on ESPN, and then the Premier League is on NBC. So it would make sense to have it would it, it makes sense to be in either CBS or NBC at some point. Yeah, hundred percent agree. It's just I I just kind of just want be in sports to and I I like Phil Shane. I think like he's slightly under, he's slightly underrated in just how he covers it. The problem is like sometimes it like. They have like Thomas Rangan who doesn't even know who half the players are. No, we got to talk about him. Like there was a game recently where he made a comparison to his time coaching the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and I was like, please do not compare managing PSG to anything that you did with the Tampa Bay Rowdies, for God's sake. No, it's pretty. It's pretty. They're, they're, you know, they're trying, but it's, it is. It's it's a zombie network. And you, you know the other news, which is interesting, is you know our, our our I wouldn't say friend of the show, but adjacent friend of the show, uh, Ray Hudson, is back in the back in the game. Yeah, saw that. Yeah, Ray's going to be on CBS calling some Champions League games. Call the PSG game on Tuesday. Amazing. With Andres Cordero, remember him? It's like the old BN Sports days. It's the glory days of BN Sports. Except Phil Shane's somehow stuck in that contract and he can't get himself out of it. <laughs> Poor guy. He's going down with the ship. Yeah. You know, they, if you look at some of the personalities, they've gone – they're not even like C or D list. They're like below that. And I just feel like at some point I'm going to get the call or, or you and they're going to have us come on. They're going to – those even the lower tier announcers aren't going to want to be on there. And so they're going to have to get us. So look for well, Mark David and Ed soon. I, I know we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but – why can't we get a half hour show on that network? Yeah. Let me, I'm, I'm, I have the TV in the background right now. What's on is bare knuckle boxing <laughs> followed by the Lee gun show road to Qatar stars of Africa, stars of South America. You're telling me we couldn't get a 30 minute show on there. We just like surely my here. Twitter followers, we would get better ratings. I always like when they find like a random league on player and they'll do like 90 minutes of, Random insert random player against Tulu or something like that. Yeah. Th- that's what I always like to watch. But it's there's nothing on this network. There's nothing on this network. It's literally League on is the whole network. It's insane. It literally is. It's the whole net. And sometimes they throw the Turkish league in there in case they have room to fill. We're never going to get away from Mero Icardi. Never. Yeah, we'll always be able never. to watch him. Yeah. All right, Mark. Right. Go, go ahead. Give us a half hour. All right, BN, you know how to reach me. Um, Twitter, email, all that good stuff. Mark, let's get out of here. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, My name is Ed again. You can follow me on Twitter at PSG Talk. Thanks for checking out the website. More and more views. People are are finding PSG and uh, looking forward to the World Cup and the Champions League and all of that. So thank you all for reading and listening. Mark, any last words from you? No, I think I'm good. Let's let's have a good uh, let's have a good Champions League debut on Tuesday. Let's do it. All right, everyone. Till next time. Take care. Au revoir for now.